Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. Uh, as Jeff mentioned to you last week, most of you that were here will remember, he told you that he was taking Michael and Matt, his two teenage sons, to an Ohio State ball game in Indiana last week, or to yesterday. So that's where um, they are. Um, as a matter of fact, yesterday we were able to tap into the satellite. We got this view of the stadium. Um, and we used our facial recognition software to scan the crowd, find out where they were sitting. And uh, you can see here that Jeff really sprung for the good seats. <laughs> so then we ran it through our uh, hyper-resolving super algorithm, and we were able to pull their faces out, <laughs> out of the crowd, and uh, this is what we found. <laughs> Let me tell you, when that Jeff Swearingen gets out of town, he is a wild man. <laughs> Hyper-resolving super algorithm. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, well, they had a good time. Uh, I understand Ohio State won the game last night, so good for them. They, they got to enjoy their trip. Uh, uh, but what that means for you guys is you're stuck with me. You know, when the A team's away, the B team will play. That's the, kind of what you got today. So I'm sorry. Um, we'll try to get through this together, okay? Uh, we've been talking about the... <laughs> we've been talking about the, uh, the, through the series, the, ele- the concept of elevation and how important it is for us to elevate our lives. We began the series talking about how we could elevate our lives by reading the Bible on a regular basis. And I hope that you have grabbed hold of that concept, that you have uh, pushed yourself into the discipline of regular Bible reading, how important it is for you to get to, uh, to that being a part of your regular life so that it's not strange to you, it's not foreign to you, it's part of what you do on a regular basis. Because the good thing about that is that it will grow you step by step by step if you will allow God's Word to do its work in your life. The following week we talked about elevator etiquette and how important it is for us to be involved with others by loving our neighbor uh, and how that really does contribute to our process of elevation. Last week we talked about the importance of sharing Christ with our neighbors, telling the good news to others, and how that can elevate our purpose in life. Absolutely essential for us to be all that we intend to be, all that God intends for us to be, that we live by these principles. This week I want to take you to a view from the top. We... um, the office was after me all week, all week long to get them a title for the message. I've known for several weeks that I was going to be speaking today, and I knew what the topic was going to be. I had a long list of topics or of titles for the message today, uh, in excess of a dozen, I would say. And I had a hard time nailing it down, but I got to thinking about where we need to go with this idea of elevation. We want to bring our lives to a new level, up to the next level or a different level or a higher plane And I don't know for sure, but I would expect that everybody in the room here, part of the reason that you're here is because you're willing to acknowledge that I want that for my life. I don't think I'm making a mistake by making that assumption, that you want to move to a new level. Well, if you're going to do that, I think it helps us all to know where we're headed. So sometimes it's good just to get a view from the top. And today what I want to do is kind of paint a picture for you of what that should be like and what it's supposed to be all about. This idea of elevation is taking steps up. And, and I, want, I want us to all to understand this premise. We never arrive here. Whatever here is, that summit, we never actually get there. 
But what we do is spend our lives on the journey. It is the process. And as long as we know that we shouldn't be frustrated because we haven't yet arrived, then we can, we, we can take the journey and say, okay, this is a good thing. And I'll be a part of this journey. I won't reject the journey. I'll enjoy the journey. And I'll grow as much as I can on this journey of elevating our lives um, to Christ's expectation for us and God's design for us. And I, I think we're going to see some things today that will help you to understand what that design is all about. I will say this. The view from the top is simply spectacular. Uh, over 20 years ago, I made my, uh, my first trip to the Philippines. And I was, uh, had the privilege of going down into Tagatai City uh, in uh, the southern part of the island of Luzon and stood out on a ledge and looked over a valley into a huge lake. And in the middle of the lake was the volcano Taal, T-A-A-L. And Taal sits in the middle of a lake, the volcano, and then in the top of the volcano is another lake in the crater on the top of the volcano. And I, I remember looking at that thinking, this has got to be the most beautiful sight on the planet. I was fortunate enough to be able to go back there uh, on, on a few other occasions with great anticipation. Couldn't wait to get there when I knew we were heading there. Because when you stand looking down at, at the top, looking down at this majesty, at this glory, at this beauty, there's a sense of awe that just overtakes you. Like you, it's, You've heard the phrase breathtaking. You, you can't begin to describe how glorious this picture is. Several years ago, I made a business trip out to Phoenix and we took a day trip up to the Grand Canyon. And I remember the same kind of feeling when I stood on the ledge looking out over the Grand Canyon. I'd seen pictures of it in the encyclopedia, so I had an idea what the Grand Canyon looked like. But when you stand there for the first time, your eyes capture a depth and a magnitude that words and pictures can't begin to capture. In fact, I remember saying, I want to be here the first time my kids see this picture because it's so beautiful. It's so rich. It's so full. That's what the view from the top is like. It's, a, it's being able to see things that you've never seen before. Being able to see from a perspective that you've never seen before. And that's what God wants for us. And Today we're going to talk about one other element of the process of getting us to the top. Again, knowing that we won't ever fully arrive, but taking all the steps that we can and embracing all the elements that we can in the process so that we can get to the top. So in order to get to the, the discussion today, I'm going to have to do something. Um, I'm going to have to give us a little background setup stuff. And what I guess that really means is I'm going to go around my elbow to get to my nose. Um, we have to take the long way around to get there, and that's okay. So if you'll just hang with me for a minute, uh, I'm going to give you a little background information that I think will help us all to understand what God is up to in our midst here. When God decided to record His story for us in the Bible, He begins it in Genesis, the book of Genesis, meaning beginnings, with these words in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when I read that verse, I just want to pause and ponder what that means. In the beginning, in God's beginning for us, He created the heavens and the earth. 
is an interesting thing. In the Hebrew language, the original language that the Bible was written in, that word God is the word Elohim, which is the plural distinction of the word God. In other words, what God said was, in the beginning, we created the heavens and the earth. God in His plural sense, in the fullness of who He is, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 3, God said uh, that He separated the light from the darkness. God said, let there be light, and there was light. I love the fact that God just says, let there be, and it bees. God's pretty good about that. He is, he is so God. He does stuff that you and I can't even conceive of doing. When God speaks, it happens. God said, let there be light, and light deed. <laughs> okay. But look what He says in the next verse. And God looked at the light, and He saw that the light was good. Now we find here an interesting pattern being set up. In these first four verses, God establishes a pattern. He creates, which creation is to create order out of chaos. It's to take chaos and reshape it or form it or make order out of it. God took chaos and made order. God created, God observed, and then God evaluated. That's pretty cool, right? And when God created, when God created, made order out of chaos, He checked it out. And he said, dude, that's good. I don't think he said it quite like that, but he said it was good. Now, that's all fine. But what you find now, if you continue on to How many of you have read the first chapter of Genesis? Yeah, most of you have read it. Because when you sit down to read your Bible, you say, I'm going to start at the beginning. You read the first chapter and you get through about three of them. And then you say, it's too much work. You set it aside. So most of you probably got through the first chapter, right? Six different times in that chapter, God follows the same pattern. Six times God creates, He establishes order out of chaos. He observes and He evaluates. Six different times God created, God checked out His creation, and six different times God said it was good. I've often wondered, maybe you guys don't wonder things like this, but I wonder... Who's God talking to? He creates celery. You observe it, check it out, and you say, that's good. And you look around and say, who's He saying that to? God was speaking in my little world here, the way I understand it, God was speaking to His plural self. I'm going to prove that to you in just a minute. Proving my premise to you in just a minute. So six different times God does the same thing. Create, observe, evaluate. But then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, He says this, God said, let us make man, let us make man in our image and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Now, I think this is important. I think this is really important for us to get a handle on. Because look what it says in verse 31. When God had done all of that, He checked it out and He said it was very good. Now again, let me emphasize the point to you. For six times, God, for six days, God created, He observed, and He evaluated he created, he separated light from darkness. He created order out of chaos. He said, that's good. 
He created land. He separated this, the water from the masses, the earth masses, and He created land. And He said, that's good. He created celery and broccoli and Brussels sprouts. And He said, that's good. And I said, God, you want to check that out again? I don't know about that. God said it's good. God made animals. The animal world. And He said, it's good. God established the stars in the heavens. He said, it's good. And then God says, let's do this. Instead of just speaking and allowing it to exist, because I said so, because I'm God, let's do this. When it comes to man, let's make man in our image. Let's make man after the likeness of us. That's huge. You are not the same as the stalk of celery in God's value system. You have great value to God. You have special value in all of the universe. You're different. You understand that? You are rich. You are valuable. You are precious to God. God said, I'm going to make you in my image. And then, after God created man, and He had done all these other things, He had created all this other stuff, and He checked it out, and He said, that's good. But when He created man, He stepped back, He checked out the whole thing, and because man was now added to the mix, He says, wow, that is very good. I don't think God was bragging. I think God's telling the truth because that's who God is. He's just stating a fact. When mankind was infused into creation, creation became very good. Now, here's why that's important to us. When you and I have been created in the image of God, we are to live our lives, we are to be, we are to exist in a God kind of way. Not that we are gods. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we're to live our lives in a pattern to follow what God has for us. And that's this process of elevation because you and I aren't there now. But we have somewhere to go. And I want us to get there. I want us to understand as we exist as the only creatures in all of the the created world, as the ones that are in the image of God, we've got a lot to live up to. That's not a heavy burden for you to bear. It's just something for you to acknowledge and receive and live up to. So, in God's economy of things, in God's economy of relationship, I don't think that you'll find the concepts of isolation or seclusion or solitude or independence. Those things don't... As I consider the, the... the economy of God's world of relationships, I don't see those things, okay? So when I'm, I'm considering that I'm created in the image of God, I need to figure out what God's world order, what God's model is all about. Here are things that I do find in God's model, in God's order. I find <clears throat> protection. I find trust. I find accountability. I find joy. I find safety. I find dependence. I find peace. I find things that the list could go on and on. These are the things that are characteristic of God's order and of God's economy of relationships, okay? This is, remember that God said He created man so that He could have relationship with man. That's the reason. We're created in God's image and God wants to interact with us. He wants to have relationship with us. It's His desire. God is not trying, looking for some excuse to take a ball bat and knock your head off your shoulders because you messed up. That's not who He is. That's not His heart. God's heart is about relationship with you and me. 
And in God's world, there are things that matter and that make sense. This is what I'm trying to get you to see. In God's economy and in God's world, He wants to relate with us, but He wants it to go farther than that. He wants us to relate to each other. And so today, the point that I want to get to you is that God is all about this concept of community. You saw the, the little video we had at the beginning of the service where they, they showed the, you know, the one-armed hugger and the, 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 the low talker and the hugger that wouldn't quit. Those kind of things, those kind of people, people that a lot of times will make you uncomfortable. But today, I want to be here to, a little bit to help you to see that God wants us all to be involved in community, even if it means some difficulty in dealing with some people that may not be just like we want them to be. The, I've heard lots of excuses through the years of why people don't want to be involved in community. Now, let's, let's define it a little bit, okay? We are involved in community in this room right now, to some degree. But if we're going to be honest about it, it's a very shallow level of community. Because for the most part, what we've got right now is you sitting there listening to me try to shove something down your throat. For the most part, right? Well, okay. I hope you like it. <laughs> the, that's not really community. What happens in the aisleways and in the foyers and in the courtyard when you're interacting with one another, that's more like real community, authentic, intentional community. But even that, as, as we all know, we only get to a certain level there, right? I mean, that's all pretty surfacey stuff. Hey, how you doing? How's your team do yesterday? How's your team going to do today? How's the job? How's the kids? How's the fam? How's the wife? You know, we, we, we get to all that stuff, but we don't really get down into life issues most of the time in the courtyard or in the, the aisleways here. But I think it's really, really important in God's mind. Forget what I think is important, but in God's mind, I think He's demonstrated to us over and over and over again that He wants us to share these kind of details in our lives with one another. I think this is really important because of who we are and how He created us to be. Remember, we're created in His image and we're created to live lives according to His pattern. So, let's, uh, let's talk about how we can understand what this view from the top is like and how we're going to get there. Now, I, I spent a little time uh, just casually researching mountain climbing this week. Um, how, have any of you in here actually ever climbed a mountain? A couple of you? I, now, when I'm talking about climbing a mountain, I'm talking about driving stakes in the rock and hooking ropes to it and pulling up to the next one and all that nonsense. Have you done that? Some of you? Yeah? You the man. <laughs> I, I've, I've looked at some pictures like that and I'm thinking, you got to be kidding who in his right mind is going to leave terra firma and do that? That's craziness. That is, that is ridiculous. And yet, people that do it, go back and do it again. And again, and again. And people that do not you. <laughs> people that do it will tell you that it's worth it. Now I look at that and say, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know if it could ever be worth it to go through the physical pain and the, the discomfort and the hard work and to miss all the TV shows and <laughs> everything that's involved in that. 
And yet, there's something about it. You know what they say, why do men climb mountains? Because they're there. I think there's something to that, but I think there's more to it than that. I think especially men, but for women too, there's something to be conquered. Can you agree with that? There's a challenge there that you want to say, you know what, I've checked that challenge out, I've evaluated it, I've observed it, and I can beat it. And you want to, to overcome or conquer that challenge, whatever it may be. Now, you know, it may not be mountain climbing, but I think most of us have a little bit of that sense of adventure in us somewhere. It may be uh, driving fast cars or, I don't know, what else? Stealing pencils from the office at work when nobody's looking. I don't know what your sense of adventure is, whatever it is that rings your bell. But there's something inside of you that says, if you'll let, I don't know, some of you are saying, oh man, I just want to be left alone. Don't mess with me. And I think most of us, if we're going to be honest, there's something inside of us that says, I wish I could be that person that chases after something with some adventure in it. I want to challenge something. I want to go up against a Goliath and beat it. I want to be David. I want to be be the giant killer. I think it's not just that about conquering something. I think it's also about once you get there, if you're a mountain climber, you climb to the summit and you stand there at the summit and look out, you know that you're seeing something very, very special. You're seeing something that only a handful of people in the entire history of the world have ever seen. How cool is that? And I think for those that have exerted the effort and the energy, have gone through the motions to to get there, they have an appreciation for what it is. And here's what I think. I think that they see things in a way that other people never have the opportunity to see. They see things a little bit from the perspective that God sees things. And I think that's really rich. I think it's important. So, if this whole idea of community is built into God's DNA for us, if this is the way that He designed us to live, and if this is such a slam-dunk no-brainer, why in the world do some of us resist it? So much. I mean, I think it's a fair question. I think it's a valid question for us to ask because I, I have, I'm not going to make any bones about it. I'm here at today as an evangelist for community. I want to say to you, I want to encourage you to be involved in community, to commit to community, to engage in community. And I realize that there are some in this room, I'm preaching to the choir. Some of you have already made the decision, I'm going to be involved in community. And I see its value. Others of you have been involved in community for a lifetime. You've committed to its value. I want to say to you, don't quit. Endure. Because what you're offering, what you're bringing to the table, it has tremendous value and riches. But what I really want to focus on for a few minutes are those of you in the room who have not yet embraced authentic community or intentional community beyond the casual stuff that that you've come to so far in your life. Because I think that you're missing out on moving up that plane of elevation in your life if you're not embracing community, if you're not engaging in community. And I mean with passion and with commitment. But still, it's a valid question. Why are there some that don't? And here's what I think it is. I think it's the same thing why most of us in this room would never consider mountain climbing. (laughs) Because we look at it and we say, that's a risk that I'm not willing to take. I see before me a risk 
that I'm not sure the rewards offset the risk. And if that's what you see, I appreciate that. I understand that. But I want to say to you, I want to paint it this way perhaps a little bit. What is it that you're risking? Let's say for a moment that you're considering being a part of authentic, intentional community. What is it that you would be risking to do that? Well, you'd be risking perhaps having your plastic facade exposed or revealed. You'd be risking having to be vulnerable with some other people. You'd be risking perhaps embarrassment or perhaps some discomfort. You'd be risking uh, some awkward moments perhaps and maybe a little um, inconvenience in your schedule. Okay, that's kind of the risk side of things. Let me think about the reward side over here. Let's see. A group of people who will be there for you when you need them. Other people to share life with in uh, loving and caring ways. People that will bail you out in a crisis. People that will protect you and shield you. People that will listen to you and care genuinely about what's hurting you. Developing relationships that may last a lifetime. I don't know. Does that risk justify the reward? Personally, I think it's a, it is a no-brainer. Because the risk is no more than you would have anywhere else in life should you choose to take a risk. But the reward is something that you can't get anywhere else except in community. Now, there are um, several ways to look at community and several um, different expressions of community. We're going to talk about some of those in a minute. What I want to do right now is give you three points. If you have your weekly update, there's a little place in there for you to take notes. Some of you like to have some points. I'm going to give you three points about community that I think will help us all to understand the biblical mandate for us to be a part of this. And so you can write these three, three things down. The first one is from Acts chapter 2. Now, you remember that in Acts, we're talking about a period of time right after Jesus had been crucified. He had arisen from the dead. He'd spent 40 days on earth walking amongst His followers. And then He ascended back to heaven. And right after that, the church formed. And this is God's expression of His body his, the church is designed to be God's expression on the earth. So we look back to the early church to find some of the patterns of how the church is supposed to operate. And one of the things that we find in Acts chapter 2, the very early beginnings of the church, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. It is God's pattern. If, if, you, want, if you want to follow a path of elevation and elevate your life to what God has intended for you, then it's going to require you to be involved at some level of community, at least to some degree like the early church, to where they were breaking bread together on a regular basis. They were fellowshipping together. They were bearing their souls to one another. They were expressing, they were living life together with one another. And they were sharing things, joys and hurts, all together. They were sharing it together as a family as an extended family. I know I could bring some of you up here across the stage and ask you, you would tell me some of the stories of how community has healed you, has helped you. 
But some of you will look at it and say, well, you know, it's, it's a nice concept, but it's not really for me. And here's what I want to say to you. Just because you say it's not so, doesn't mean that it's not so. In other words, I think that it's part of God's mandate for us to be, if we're going to move up this process of elevation, it's part of God's mandate. It's one of the elements that needs to be a part of our lives. But if you say it's not so, just you saying it's not so doesn't mean it's not so. Let me illustrate that this way. In 1919, in the city of Boston, the Purity Distilling Company had a 2.3 million gallon vat of molasses. They used molasses for all kinds of things back then. They had this huge vat of molasses that burst one day. And when the vat of, imagine, 2.3 million gallons of molasses burst, it created a wave of molasses that was several feet high that traveled at a speed, they say, of 35 miles an hour. The devastation that followed with that wave was uh, over 20 people died. Over 150 people were injured. Horses, numerous horses had to be put down because they were stuck in this messy goo and it broke their legs. Buildings were collapsed under this wave of molasses. It was a huge catastrophe. You can look it up sometime. It was, uh, some people refer to it as the Great Molasses Flood. Other people refer to it as the Boston Molassacre. <laughs> uh, But here's what's really important about that. The engineers knew that vat was in trouble. Instead of fixing the vat, they painted the vat brown so that when the molasses leaked out the side, nobody could see it. And for months, they just spent a lot of time going around the vat, repainting it so that the vat matched the molasses and you couldn't see it leaking. Just because you say it's not so doesn't mean it's not so. Don't be in denial about what God wants for you. God's designed us for community from the beginning, from the ground up. It's a part of who we should be. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is speaking. This is number 2. In Jesus spoke, He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, I am here to restore mankind to right relationship with God. That's His mission. That's why He came. That's why He existed on the planet. That's why Jesus uh, came to do what He did. You and I have a mission as well. Our mission is to live His life. is to continue His legacy. That's who we are. That's who we were designed and meant to be. And if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, if we're going to say, I, yeah, I agree with you, Jesus. I agree with who you say you are. I agree with the things you did. And I agree I'm going to live my life according to your plan, your purpose, your mission. Then you and I have got to take a look at how Jesus lived His life. You know what He did the first thing, when He started His ministry? The first thing He did? He went out and grabbed some guys and said, Hey, Come with me. Be with me. He formed His own community. That's the pattern of Jesus' ministry. You remember the uh, sitcom that aired back when I, I guess it was in the 80s perhaps, the, uh, called Cheers? Y'all remember that? It's a very successful sitcom. Had a long run on the network. They say that one of the great pieces of the success of that sitcom was its theme song. Y'all remember it? Some of you are playing it through in your mind right now. I love that theme song. 
Listen to what it says. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Now, you know, this story, this sitcom is about a bar, right? But think about those words that we just read. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Is that, can, you, can you all agree with that? Can you identify with that? I think that's part of the reason that had such popularity. Because it hit home right to where we live. Taking a break from all your worries, it sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? I know I sure would. Right about now. Wouldn't you like to get away? It hits a chord. It strikes a chord. And it's not just about a bar that it strikes a chord. It strikes a chord because it's, it identifies with the universal truth about all of us. So here's what the chorus of that song says. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. I, I think that's a wonderful song. I think it's, it represents a wonderful element of who we are. But here's what's interesting to me. Uh, I don't know, a year or so ago I spoke one time, I, I introduced to, to you all a website called Post Secret where people send postcards anonymously posting their secrets. Uh, just in the last few weeks, Somebody sent this postcard in. I'm going to read it to you. The people that have made the biggest impact on my life are the bartenders that remember my name. Thank you, Jeff, Eddie, Zach, Rico, Sierra, and Boston for making me feel at home. Isn't that something? That the, the most impactful person in some people's lives is the bartender that bothers to remember their name. I want to go where everybody remembers my name. I think you do too. I think a lot of people really desire to be known, to be cared about. And that's what should happen in community. Now, the truth is, the bar actually forms a community of its own. But the nobility of that community is far below the nobility of the Christian community. Far below. There's so much other truth and strength and richness and value involved in a Christian community, an authentic, intentional Christian community. So I want to encourage you, consider that Jesus' call to us, Jesus' life mission was to restore us to God. And He passed that on to us. Our life mission is to help restore others to relationship with God. And we do that best in community. And finally, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says this, Give, and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Give, and it will be given unto you. And here's where I think, especially those of you that have been involved in community and have already committed to community, need to understand where some other people are. Most of us think about this kind of thing in the context of what's in it for me? What can I get? And the reason that I reject the concept of community for many people is because I don't feel like I get anything out of it. 
And I want to say to you, if you're a Christ follower, especially if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, you have something to offer. And perhaps it's time we stopped asking the question, what's in it for me? And we stopped asking, started asking the question, what can I give? Because I believe there's a bunch of you in this room that have a lot to offer to people who need it and people who would receive it. You have life experiences. You have relationship with God. You have some depth of knowledge. Maybe you have a personality. (laughs) I don't have much of one, but maybe you do. I believe that you have lots to offer other people in community, in the context of community. And if you're not actively, passionately committed to that, you are robbing other people of the gift that God placed in you with the intention of having that gift shared. Consider that. Do you want to carry that weight? I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm trying to help you to elevate your life to live the purpose that God intends you to live. What do you have to offer that's not being offered? Stop stealing from the rest of us that need it. Well, that was pretty harsh. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to go there. <laughs> In 1964, Eugene Monty, Eugenio Monty, was on top of the bobsledding world. He already had a couple of gold medals in the bobsledding for the Italian team. And at, he was at the 1964 Olympics, Winter Games, and he'd already run his race, and he was in the lead at the bottom of the hill. And word came down, his stiffest competitor were the Britons. The Brits' team was getting ready to run, and they looked down and they saw a bolt broken on the axle of their bobsled. They checked, they did not have a spare, and they were going to have to forfeit the race. Eugenio Monti got word of it. He went down to his bobsled, he took the bolt out of the axle, and he sent it up the hill. He said, you guys put this in your bobsled and run the race. The Britons took the bolt, put it in their axle, they ran the race. It turns out the Britons won the gold medal. Now, the Italian media just crucified Eugenio Monti. What were you thinking? What did you do? Don't you know you could have had this victory? You didn't go in for the kill. They just tore him apart. Eugenio Monti said, they didn't win the race because I gave them a bolt from my axle. They won the race because they were the best team. Eugenio Monti was not in it for what he could get. He was in it for what he could give. He he gets the concept. And Eugenio Monti went down in history. Even to this day, people like me are talking about him. Not because he was a great bobsledder, but because he understood how important it was to give, not just to get. So today I want to say to you, if you want to elevate your life to the purpose that God has for you, you'll need to consider a couple of things. You'll need to consider whether you're ready to obey God's call and plan for your life. you need to consider whether you're ready to really be busy about God's work of restoration. And you'll need to consider whether you're more interested in giving or getting. Let's pray. God, how good it is to know that You're God and uh, how good it is to know that You care about us so much. I want to thank You, God, for designing us the way that You did. 
uh, even though we don't fully understand, we don't always get it, God. Um, I know that You want more from us, that You desire more relationship with us. You desire for us to, to be children that make You proud and uh, people that live out Your purposes. And God, I believe that You want us to live those purposes out so that we can uh, enjoy the fullness of life, the abundant life that You want us to enjoy. So God, my prayer is that You would help us. Help us to embrace and engage these concepts. Help us to not run from them, to not deny um, the truth that's contained in Your Word and that's presented before us. Help us to be all that we can be for You. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.